Hello, you wonderful people. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up to our Patreon account. The link will be in the description of this podcast, but you can also go to patreon.com forward slash Pod. For as little as four euros a month, you can help us out and become part of our little community. You'll get early access to all of the pods and you'll also get a monthly newsletter from myself and Jim. So basically two monthly newsletters where we'll talk about stuff that's going on in our own personal lives and what we've been thinking about slash inspired about. We also are asking you guys to get involved with the podcast so you can send in questions for our upcoming guests or you can suggest to us people or topics you would like us to interview and explore further. Um, We love you. We hope that you love us and hopefully just by giving us as little as four euros a month, that's basically, it's not even a pint in London that you can help us become an even better podcast. Thank you all. Treasured listeners of the Earthly Delights podcast, welcome back. This week, our guest is Mo Aloha. Mo is a facilitator, DJ, writer, and a man who's devoting a lot of his time to improving relationships. People's relationships with themselves, their loved ones, and their relationship with the universe around them. The initial intention of this podcast was to discuss grief, and we did. But this podcast also turned out to be a healthy conversation between men who experience the world quite differently. I found it to be a wide ranging reflection on where we are collectively with our felt sense of pain, grief, loss and trauma. This isn't one of the episodes where an expert gives us quote unquote the answers. This is an episode where three men listen to each other respectfully and express their thoughts. We need more of it. I commend Mo for his compassion, genuine genuine nature and warm presence. It is very rare that people hold differing perspectives with such respect and sincerity. And as a result, I believe we all left the chat a little wiser than starting it. I hope you do too. We intend to have him on again in the near future to explore further our human need for ritual. If you want to learn more about Mo, read his articles or buy his new game, I've left some links below. Thanks for listening, guys. All the best. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Earthly Delights podcast. This week, our guest is Mo Aloha. Mo, what's the crack? How are you keeping? Hello, guys. Mo, thanks so much for for agreeing to come on. Um, Obviously, you know the story, but for people listening... Mo wrote this really powerful piece um, a few months ago, I believe, but I just came across it a few weeks ago about the kind of need for ritual in our society and the fact that our society struggles to kind of facilitate healthy space for people grieving. Um, And then I reached out to Mo and then we had a little bit of dialogue and then he agreed to come on. So thanks for that, Mo. I mean, we'll we'll get to the piece in a minute, but um, before we do, I guess... It would be great to hear a bit about you, about your story and, and kind of how you ended up to be where you are right now. Yeah, sure. I'll be happy to do so. Um, I like to start with an acknowledgement of country before I begin any conversation. Um, I would love sure. to pay my respects to the people of the Bunjalung Nation 
of where I am here in the northern rivers of Australia, just uh, in between the border of New South Wales and Queensland. And for those of you that aren't uh, familiar with um, acknowledgements of country, um, acknowledging Indigenous people of the land, um, it's a reminder for us to know that we walk on stolen land. Colonisation um, ripped people apart from their communities hundreds of years ago and we still feel the echoes of that today. So it's important for us just to connect with the spirits, not only of the land, but the ancestors that have maintained and been honourable custodians of this space uh, for thousands and thousands of years, the oldest living generation um, in humanity. And I would also love to extend those respects to not only the elders that have been, but the elders that are yet to emerge and the elders that are with us today. Um, first and foremost, Jim, Seb, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been really nice figuring out the logistics of the back end with you guys so far. You've been really helpful and um, it's an honour to be on this podcast. I am a facilitator by trade. Um, so I'd say I, my day job is a facilitator. I, some say I daylight as a um, facilitator for rites of passages, um, healthy masculinity, workshops, retreats. Um, I've been doing that for about four or five years now. I also run events. I have a monthly event under the full moon um, in Melbourne. That's called the Celestial Gathering. I also moonlight as a DJ and um play festivals and not so many clubs as much these days as my gray hairs might uh reflect <laughs> um and i have a question card deck called curiosity which is something that i launched during covid um because i love to hold space i love to create meaningful um ritual space for people to connect authentically powerfully in i didn't have the chance to do that in the pandemic because most of the things i do involve being around lots of people all the time so the question card deck is just a way for me to give my gift to the world for people to open up um powerful conversations with each other the sort of conversations that they would usually need permission to have um and yeah allows them to develop deep, deep, deep levels of self-awareness, but also connect with themselves uh, and the people around them. So quite a few projects on the go. Um, and more recently, a writer. I have just launched a substack um, called Primordial People. It's effectively a countercultural lens on what it means to be human in the modern world today. Uh, and it brings together all the things that I really love, my passions, my interests, uh, but also um, the way that I want to serve, which is playful, um, bringing people back to ritual a lot more. Um, and yeah, potentially open up some of the conversations we might not be having in the culture space as much. Um, well, I came across that, and I just want to say it's such a good idea. It called Cur uh, Curiosity Cured the Cat, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Um, and I just find it so it, 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 it's so reflective of the, you know, the years that have been, um, especially as British guys, you probably 
might be a little bit more familiar with the term curiosity killed the cat it's indicative of that mm. or let's not kind of open up the skeletons in the closet or the boogeyman in the basement um and sweep it all the under the rug yeah and i you know unfortunately when we sweep things under the rug too often we trip over them and i'm just I'm just a really, yeah. really curious person. I've always asked, why is it this way? Why is it that way? Um, I, I really love getting to know people. So you'll probably find that you're being interviewed in this <laughs> podcast as well, just as much as I am. Um, and <laughs> this was just a way for me to, you know, show the world that curiosity has a very, very healing power. Um, if you're curious to some of the things that, make you the way that you are you might develop a deeper level of self-awareness and that could lead to that could lead to deeper levels of self-love um especially if you unhook yourself from things that have been seemingly tripping you up um for years and years and years through this you know newfound self, sense of self-awareness that you would never have got to if you just never asked yourself why do i keep doing that stupid thing um or do I keep feeling this um, really dense way? Um, and I think one of the things that's come out of it since it's been around for maybe three years now, I think, we just celebrated our third birthday in October, is uh, there are questions that uh, are ask the group questions. So some of them might be ask the group, what did you notice about me when you first met me? Or what is your favorite thing about me? Um, and then people become curious as to what other people's reflection of them are. And yeah, mm. it's just had such a strong um, response because a lot of time we don't know how the world sees us. We only really see the version of ourselves that we're used to all the time. And that's just that incessant chatter that is just always, you know, kind of just going on in the background quite unconsciously a lot of the time, but people don't always see the things that we get wrong or the things that we find sticky about ourselves. A lot of the time they just see the magic and the light um, and we can get stuck in the opposite of that. So yeah, I think um, creating a playful space to have these conversations that quite often need permission, whether the permission is you've been up and it's 6 a.m. the sun's coming and you've had far too many things to drink and all of these emotions just kind of come out. It might be this depth of love that you feel uh, for your friend that you've never really expressed and now that you've had 17 vodka cruises, <laughs> you've finally <laughs> summoned up the courage to do so or your, your emotions have just stacked on top of each other and it's become too much to handle and you can't quite control it. Um, so it's permissionless, authentic conversation in a playful way. There's different levels. So you have lemon and herb, medium hot and extra spicy. So you can choose your adventure in that regard. Um, and you know, I've, I've just heard, I've just loved hearing the stories. People have told me they've, you know, repaired relationships from their distant mothers. Um, I had a friend tell me that she found out that their mate shagged Usain Bolt once <laughs> and they, they had no idea. Um, and it came up in conversation somehow from one of the questions that got asked. I had to ask him, how was it? What did she say it was like? And she turned around and she went, it was pretty quick, actually. Um, <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, there's just been really, really funny stories that have come about. Um, and it's amazing just to see that this thing that I created and basically operate from my bedroom just gets sent out and distributed all over the world. Um, and, you know, people are having amazing connections off the back of it. So, yeah, um, it's, a, it's a real privilege that I get to, you know, offer something like that to the world as well. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Ma. We'll definitely leave the link to Curiosity Cure the Cat in the show notes along with the Substack. And not too, not sure how many Australian listeners we have, but we'll also, if you want, we'll put the links down to what you're doing in Melbourne and, and any of the retreats that you're hosting. Thank you. Hopefully after this conversation, you have a couple more. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so um, Mo, you may, I, I, did I understand right that you're originally from the UK? I certainly am. Um, luckily my accent hasn't quite left me just yet, but I haven't lived in London for about 10 years now. Um, okay. to be honest, I consider parts of London, parts of the UK, just an overwhelming shithole, to be honest. And I kind of came came to awareness when I first went traveling, and <laughs> I I'd, I'd gone to places like the Czech Republic when I was eighteen. I just went on this big backpacking trip um, and traveled everywhere from uh, Paris all the way down to Hungary in the Czech Republic, and got to envelop myself in cultures and immerse myself in ideas and experiences that I never would have had the opportunity to do so. And since then, I'm 33 nearly, so that would have been 15 years ago now. I've just had the bug. So I've lived in Thailand, Spain, Central America. I've traveled extensively around the world. Um, I landed here seven years ago. I came here on a six-month holiday. I haven't left since. And um, I just find the quality of life is just in it's incomparable it's one of the most amazing places to live in the world the quality of life and um just general living situation is uh it's just far more manageable i i i'm really struggling for to, I, i'm really feeling for friends and family in the uk that are struggling especially in london right now dealing with the energy crisis dealing with um a looming winter probably as climate change accelerates one of the coldest winters that they'll have um and yeah it's uh, my, my thinking is it, i i have a slight theory and i do tend to go off tangent when it comes to you know small questions becoming really bigger topics but the bigger a community becomes That's just okay the more challenging huh That's okay here um <laughs> just yeah the bigger a community comes the bigger a population of a community becomes the harder it becomes to maintain some sort of equality um and i think you know in australia there's about 22 million some of the nordic countries have uh, maybe 15 million uh, don't quote me on that exactly um the uk has about 70 80 million america has 350 million there's a billion in China, you know, and the bigger these nation states seem to become, the harder it becomes to maintain equality, some sort of balanced living. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I think um, I've, I've just lucked out. I never really planned on being in Australia for as long as I have been, but I've realized that um, 
here just having the abundance of land that has unfortunately been you know colonized and taken away from the indigenous people and we we stand on their shoulders in gratitude um has made it just a much more livable place so i'm very happy to be here and i was in Mm. melbourne for five five years or so and i've been in the northern rivers for two which is basically just near byron bay which some of your listeners might be familiar with is the hippie central of the country itself um and I'm happy to say I fit right in. <laughs> <laughs> As a comprehensive intro, Mo. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully that paints a little bit of a picture. <laughs> Absolutely, Mo. Absolutely. Can, can you talk to me a bit about your experience with grief? I, I, I'd love to hear this tangent. <clears throat> well, let's dive right in, shall we? Um, I, (laughs) when I, yeah, the first place my mind goes is that somewhere in the Western world, we've created a sort of hierarchy of emotions. Um, and at the top of that hierarchy are emotions like happiness, um, joy, love and things like sadness sorrow grief we've placed at the bottom of that pyramid which Mm. it just strikes me as quite bizarre to be honest because emotions inherently aren't good or bad and it might be through cultural conditioning in the movies or media it might be from religion it might even stem from stoicism hundreds of years ago but we've put emotions like grief in the bad bucket and mm-hmm. it's stunted our ability to grow um i really mm-hmm. love the metaphor of the deeper the roots go the higher the branches can grow um And even from my own personal experience, when I've met people that have been through the pits of existence um, and have excavated from the bowels of their soul this immeasurable level of pain, trauma, suffering, they tend to have the biggest hearts um, for the most part. And I think if we had healthier ways and healthier systems and processes to facilitate healing from grief, we would probably be a much more connected society. Um, Mm. It's interesting because I study indigenous cultures quite a fair bit and healing isn't something that's done in the same way it is here in the Western world. Here in the Western world, we'll probably go through a bunch of fucked up shit from the ages of zero to five years old, do really, really silly things through our teenage years. And depending on what decisions we make at, you know, the twenties kind of stage, we'll either do way more progressively stupid dumb shit or kind of smarten up and, you know, get a job and do the script. And in indigenous cultures, 
as soon as the pain is experienced, they'll they'll do a couple of things. They'll either look around the community and see that the suffering child or suffering person in in, in pain clearly because they're a bit more tuned and and then look around the community and say, where did this pain come from? What created this trauma? And that could even be uh, a, a sickness that's manifested in a physical form. That could, you know, be a boil or a warp. Um, and then address it immediately. <laughs> but here in the Western world, we go through that long and arduous process of effectively just putting a lot of shit in our bag. And then we get to our late 20s and 30s and start thinking about, oh, this bag's kind of heavy right now. We should <laughs> probably get to work on it. Um, which I think it's better to address it than to just leave it. And some people just do, and not everyone here, not ev not everyone is on this planet to heal. Um, not everyone is on this planet to, you know, go through that process. But because we've developed such a detached attitude towards grief and sorrow, it then manifests in an individual sense through our relationships through destructive patterns or in the collective sense through i suppose we can put it as movements or larger communities that find that certain spaces are the only places where they feel safe enough to express this grief and I think one of the things that really resonated with you in the article, Jim, was, you know, um, being in the football field and a lot of men only feeling that that's uh, in, the, in the stadium, should I say, or the stands, and a lot of men feeling that that's the only place where they can express this emotion. Um, and, you know, I've I spent a lot of years playing football growing up um, and have heard many a man say that... The football place is the only place where I can. The football field is the only place where I can express my emotions. So, um, long story short, we've just lost our ability to grieve properly. Some people don't even know how to, mm. um, and I think that's where ritual comes into it. And I think the power of rituals is it connects ourselves to these often inaccessible or sometimes unwelcome parts uh, of ourselves that we can uh, create a space for, to sit with um, and acknowledge and hopefully transmute. Mo, Mo I, I, you, you covered I, a I'd lot. Like to Mo, I'm sorry. I'd, I'd like to, there's a couple of things. I agree with a lot of the things you were saying there, but um, it will probably become apparent that I'm going to be the one who will challenge you on some things, <laughs> whereas Jim will come up with the, uh, the lovely eloquent questions. Um, but so... So, so, so there's a couple there's a couple of points there right i think so you were talking about how and listen i have next to no knowledge of indigenous cultures so i'm definitely not going to challenge you on that but you were talking about how in the the indigenous cultures uh you know when they see something's going wrong or, or whatever the case may be they address it in the moment right and we uh you know generalizing in the western culture kind of don't really do that and like you say we we let it build up until the bag becomes a bit too heavy my, my challenge on that would be, uh, and this is not to say that one um, one way is better than the other, but I some I, I, in personal experience anyway, and I'll, I'll give a few examples. 
I found that actually trying to address it in the moment, especially when you've gone through some really traumatic stuff, right? I'm not talking about falling over your knee, falling over and grazing your knee. Um, but you know, when people go through sexual abuse and such forth, right? I've, I, I, I'll give you some examples. I have a, I had a family member, someone very close to me go through, um, sexual abuse, right? Um, suffer sexual abuse. And when it all came out, whatever else they quote unquote dealt with it immediately, straight away, referred to a therapist, um, you know, had the, had the, had sessions and so on and so forth straight afterwards. So there was no kind of, Oh, let's give it a couple of years. There was like, we're going to deal with this now. Right. Uh, and yet because it was so fresh, because it was so heavy, that actually didn't help. It didn't help. And years have gone by now, six, seven years now have gone by and they're still processing it within themselves before like, and they've said, you know, they're willing to go back to a therapist at some point, but they still haven't, they st they need to get some certain cogs in the right order in their own brain before they can go to a therapist. And I can, and I can vouch for that because in my own experience with the, whilst the sexual abuse didn't happen to me, you know, being, being with the family, there was some, I, just, uh, I suffered some level of trauma, right? And nowhere near as much as the victim, of course. But again, you know, uh, I've only literally just now, and this is bearing in mind I have a mental health podcast. Um, I only just now have started going to therapy for it. Um, and I know that it's now's the right time. And I also know that before wouldn't have been the right time because in those intervening years, I've managed thanks to the podcast, thanks to some of the guests we've had and such forth. And, and, and also just thanks to the passing of time uh, to use a cliche I've been able to process some, some things, not all things, obviously. Uh, and now I've got to the point where I'm like, okay, I've processed certain emotions, certain thoughts, certain feelings, but now I know that the, there's, a, there's certain rocks in this road that I can't shift myself. And that's why I'm now going to a therapist because they, they will be hopefully anyway, hopefully who knows, but hopefully they'll be able to give me the tools to move these rocks. Right. But I now I've cleared the, all the pebbles, let's say. And I now know which are the big rocks that I need to focus on and that I need help. But if I went and had therapy straight away, or if I tried to address my trauma straight away, because I was feeling such, such an array of emotions, rage, betrayal, anger, shame, all of these things, I wouldn't have even know where to have started. Whereas now I've dealt with a lot of it. And the main emotion that I need to work on now in, when it comes to that topic is is rage. That's the one thing that I can't get over myself. I've listened to many people talk. I've asked many guests on the podcast who are way more developed than I am and nothing that they say has helped me so far. So that's why I've got the therapist, but that's taken me a seven year journey to get to that point. Very long winded way to say, do you not think that sometimes I, I agree that maybe sometimes we leave it too long. Sometimes we never even get there ever. Right. But do you not agree that maybe sometimes that, that it's necessary to have that space. It's necessary to leave that time because if, if you go, if you deal with it too soon, sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees. Mm, great point, Seb. And thank you so much for your honesty there. Um, it's really great to yeah, just hear you speak so deeply about your experiences. Um, I think the first thing that comes to me is this sense of, safety and people can 
only really be honest in equal measure to the level of safety that they feel. And that safety comes from the compassion that they feel around them. So if we go back to our indigenous examples, and this is just from, um, you know, my own personal experiences from studying them and not at a scholarly level for sure, um, but speaking to Aboriginal elders, um, taking various trainings over the years, in the tight-knit community space that they grew up in, that safety and that level of compassion is inherent. And I wouldn't say that that's always the same in the communities that we live in today. Um, I know when I feel safe from my personal experience, I do like to sit with things and process them for sure. But I know my process is feeling the feelings and as uncomfortable as they might be sitting with them almost immediately at a somatic level. Um, I find that leaving things for a lot longer than they need to be addressed leaves an imprint within me. And then it might actually become a little bit more difficult to untangle um so when i choose to experience grief obviously if i'm working or out with friends and something comes up it might not be the safest place to acknowledge and sit with it there and then uh but i will create an opportunity to at least journal speak to someone um and that's on a sliding scale there's trauma with a small t which can arise um, far more frequently than trauma with a big T. Um, and everyone has their own individual process and each indigenous tribe will have their own individual process for dealing with it and their own protocol. But there is a protocol. And here they're really, in the, in the modern day context, I wouldn't say there is one. Do you go to a therapist? Do you you know, speak to a family member? Do, do you call the police? Um, each individual journey needs to be accounted for on its own, um, uh, I suppose, parts of, parts of it that make it up. Um, but in more communal-based societies, they would have something that's been established there for thousands of years and refined over the course of the their existence i hope that answers it for you seb yeah yeah no it does and, and, and it leads me nicely on to kind of my second challenge so to speak which would, would just be mm. and because i'm wary of this of myself and i'm with jim as well and and we've, and we've spoken about it before um you know jim's traveled a lot and, and and experienced different cultures i myself grew up in a multicultural household since so I've always been aware of the nuances between certain like cultures and, and I now live in Spain uh, and have done for four years. And I always find that, you know, folks like us to generalize a little bit, people who are of the more vagabond um, existence, we, we are, I think we are a bit prone sometimes and I have to check myself to idealizing other cultures, right. And poo pooing on the ones that we've, we've come from ourselves. And that's not to say, that's sometimes not the right thing to do. But I do think that sometimes 
I'm not accusing this of you, but I just thought it'd be, I think it's something that we should bring up and, and definitely um, acknowledge that sometimes we can be blinkered and, and maybe see other cultures through rose tinted glasses uh, and go, oh, the way that the, you know, it's very common that you'll hear people talk about the Nord- the way that the Nordics live, right? Or the way that they do this thing is amazing, this, that, and the other. Again, I'm no expert in the Nordics, but I'm sure that they have, I'm sure that a Nordic looking outward would, would be happy to tell you of their failures as well and say it's not all as great as, as you think it might be. And, you know, in, in the example that you gave there, so for example, where you said in these indigenous cultures, they'll have, have certain processes that have been refined over thousands of years and, and so they so they have steps where they know how to deal with certain situations whereas you know in in the western world using the uk for as an example it's very singular everyone can deal with a certain situation how they want to do they want to just go down to the pub with their mate and have a chat about it do they want to get professional help through a therapist do they want to you know blog about it do they want to call the police and then report it if that's necessary who knows these are all things that we will have agency over right but then i suppose the easy argument to say there is well, first things first is in an indigenous culture, like you said, you know, you're talking about before, they're co- comparatively, right? They're so much smaller. So, you know, in London, you're talking about 12 million people. So obviously for, it's hard to get, it's hard to find a way for 12 million people to all follow the same steps and processes for a certain outcome. Uh, and secondly, you know, in a lot of indigenous cultures, when we when we get into the as you would as you say the the traumas with the capital T, you know whether that's sexual abuse, whether that's physical abuse, so on and so forth, you know in, in, in indigenous cultures they have their own way to deal with it in terms of justice and how they deal with that in their own community and like you said that's been worked on through thousands of years, whereas in the we're not, we're fairly new um, and we have to go through certain ways to deal with that in a, you know what I mean? In, in a newer society. Um, so I don't know. I'm just wary that sometimes, and this is not to say that we can't learn from other cultures. Let me make that abundantly clear. Cause I think we can take from every single culture, but I do sometimes think that we are sometimes all a bit guilty of being like, like I'm, I do it with the Japanese. I don't know what I've got. I think I saw the samurai when I was like 11. Um, and ever since then I've been like infatuated and then you see the Japanese clearing up at the world cup and all the rest of it and leaving origami in the lockers and all the rest of it. And it's like, Oh God, isn't that amazing? And I'm very, very guilty of like saying how everything that the Japanese do, the Japanese culture is amazing. And then I talk to people who have lived there. I talk to Japanese people or people who have way more, um, a, a closeness to that culture right and they'll tell me about you know the suicides and how it doesn't allow how their culture doesn't allow them to express their emotions which leads to high rates of suicides and so and the how their culture deals with shame as opposed to other do you know what i mean all these things which i with my blinkered eyes don't see i just see the beautiful stuff that i want to see i wonder do you ever wrestle with that yourself living there for two years as you have done the listeners the listeners can hear the beautiful birds chirping in the background i mean you definitely couldn't be in london with that so i wonder do you ever find yourself and catch yourself going hey listen like maybe i'm i'm kind of falling in a bit too deep here and and again to use the same phrase i can't see the wood for the trees Mm, great great question and i think that these conversations are create most opportunities for growth on the pointier end um so i really do appreciate that um my understanding is 
that we've severed ourselves from a huge part of our existence. Um, and that is something that the indigenous people did really well. Um, and it's connection to spirit. That connection is described in a multitude of different ways throughout the ages. But that connection to the unseen world, which could be a really great source of healing for people. Um, and any change that will come from the multiple global crises that we're facing will have to come from not just the innovation that comes with modern advances and technology, but also this recapturing of our spirits and the spirit and finding a bridge between the two in some way. It has to, it has to involve ancient wisdom and it has to involve modern technology because I think a lot of us are starting to wake up to the fact that if we do carry on on this trajectory, there might not be anywhere to carry on to. Um, so for me, my role in that is to bring people back to that story that they know that exists within them, but have probably not been told. Um, I'm sure one of the reasons why you do do this podcast is to reconnect people back to their to themselves in that regard too, but also the multiple, multiple multitude of ways that um, other people are dragging humanity forward uh, through their um, uh, through their careers, through their missions, through their passions, um, and we're all here trying to stretch humanity forward to a certain degree. And for me, it is mine. And I've definitely romanticized indigenous understandings and cultures i did sit with a shaman once who told me that i was a priest in my previous life um uh, which definitely rings true because a lot of the things that i do do is all about creating containers for people to connect with spirit themselves um, and other people so yeah and that's not to say that i don't spend too much time don't spend any time at all thinking about the disadvantages that could come with that because as with many people that are following their mission following their path it can be quite easy to think this is the only way this is the only way for us to have salvation mm. Mm. this is the only way we can make the world a better place but it's not it's it's just a way and i think if we zoom out a little bit more it's just I think everybody has that in them to a certain degree encoded in their DNA at a cellular level, something that just lights them up, makes them who they are, but also ultimately comes back to make the world a better place, which is what we're all here for. Um, I'll stop there because I was just going to go on another tangent, but <laughs> I'm sure you have another questions to um, <laughs> for, for follow up with that. And um, yeah, happy to hear I, I know Jim's chomping at the bit, so I'll, I'll leave it to him. <laughs> uh, I just want to say how enjoyable this is. <laughs> it's great. Um, Mo, uh, I 
I just I, I'm going to try to find a way to kind of bring this in a little bit and then move on a little bit. Uh, one I wanted to say, in addition to um, kind of potentially praising um, the indigenous cultures um, too much to a fault where we're not seeing the flaws, um, and and I thought your answer was very interesting. I thought again we do lack. Um, um, an ever-present acknowledgement of spirit in our culture, which I do think is damaging on a level that we don't really understand. Um, I also am interested in the indigenous cultures, and I think many people are, as a result of the fact that a lot of these cultures, a lot of these... um, groups of people have managed to live on the planet for thousands of years with almost next to no trace in the sense that no harm really has been done to the earth whereas we look at our culture and we think oh god we've done a little bit of damage here and we've been here not that long and i don't and i think it's kind of natural for us to kind of go whoa well let's look back here and of course, we can't just all go all the way back and there's massive populations and stuff. But I think um, more than any other culture, because obviously there are different indigenous cultures, but more than any kind of, you know, oh, in Denmark they do this or in Japan they do this. I think there is slightly or significantly, I would probably say, deeper value in trying to understand indigenous populations across the, the globe because here you have a uh, an interesting to us an interesting way of living that has caused almost no damage and yet here we are so i just wanted to say that i think that's another interesting point that i'm interested like it's a good question from seb i like your question, seb. i just i would i would probably say that that gar- like that deserves that merits more respect and more kind of praising than other cultures that are doing really well now because it's just thousands of years they've done so well without real um, to the earth like we've done. Um, to try and move this back a little bit to grief, <laughs> um, Mo, you talked about <clears throat> you talked about the fact uh, that experiencing grief and having a place for grief it, for yourself and for people that you know allowed them to become more open people and loving of themselves and other people um, and everybody at the earthly delights knows i love a quote so i just wanted to share this quote that came up which is and i think you'd enjoy it it says the whispering medicine of grief is that if we allow it to shatter us we renew our empathy for the human condition and recently i've been feeling a lot of grief and it's been hard but i've simultaneously held on to a kind of i don't even want to call it a silver lining it's just a reality that i just look at people now in this kind of experience that i'm having just with a little more empathy with a little more compassion and and i think we could definitely do with that (laughs) across society and thank you jim where did you Sorry. Um, <clears throat> so, sorry, Jim, where did you get that question from? Uh, sorry, the, the quote sorry, is, where did you get that quote yeah, from? The quote 
is from a man called Eric Godsey. I can send you some of his work if you're interested. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, he does the work with uh, yeah, the Fit for Service, I think, is a facilitator. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah, that's him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I think, I think it knocked a nail on the head where, and again, a kind of, to double down on what you were saying previously, the fact that here we are living and kind of struggling to connect with people, you know, that we don't know um, intimately and that perhaps if we had spaces or if we had space at least for ourselves to experience grief, it will give us more of an opportunity to be able to, to feel that, to be able to have more compassion for other people. And just very quickly, because mm. <laughs> I love self-directness. Before we came onto the podcast, he goes, "Well, like, how how are we how are we going to do it? Like, how are we going to make more space for grief?" And of course, you know, like me, like I'd like to click my fingers and then almost create physical spaces in cities and in towns where people can grieve, and it's not only a certain religion, and mm. it's not only a certain ideological belief. But ultimately, I can't do that. So I thought it might be interesting if you could maybe mm. share things that people can do that if it's resonate with resonate with them now and they don't feel like they can go to the local mm. church or they don't feel like they can mm. go to the center or they don't really mm. know any people that have connections mm. to indigenous populations. Is there anything that you could um, share mm. there? Yeah, um, for sure. Um, and just to kind of uh, really touch on the the church and the reason why it was so successful for so many years is because it almost outsourced our um capacity to grieve instead of it being a communal thing it was only something that was done in church um instead mm -hmm. of having somebody to talk to about those really um pointier subjects uh, the deepest stuff that was done with the priest in a confession room. Um, and it's something that we definitely have a deep psychological and spiritual need to do. Um, and it can be done in so many different ways. It could be a grief ritual can be as simple as lighting a candle and setting an intention to solemnly connect to somebody that has passed. Um, you could speak into the candle and, you know, share what's alive within you. Um, and then close it off. So it has to have a, you know, intentionally set beginning and an intentionally set ending to close the loop per se. It can literally be as simple as that. Um, in indigenous communities in New Zealand, one of the things that the Maori soldiers did when they came back from war was return home completely covered in blood after however long it was they spent on the battlefield days, sometimes weeks, um, having lost a couple of members of the community and naturally coming back with a sense of deep, deep pain. Um, and they would meet the rest of the village in a waterfall. The wives would be there with the kids. And as they sung in the watering hole, 
as they went into the watering hole and washed the blood and pain off their bodies, the women would sing to them and the kids would join along as well. And that is something that's slightly more elaborate. It's um, more of a community-based ritual and it can be everything in between. And it's not something that necessarily has to just be done for grieving. It could be something that's done for praise as well. It could be um, gratitude. You can have a ritual for that. I did a plant medicine ceremony years ago and um, ended up at a beach shortly after the integration period and collected a bunch of shells. I just kept this bag of shells with me since ever since and walk around every now and again when I feel a moment of deep gratitude, I'll just place a shell on the side of a bench and just honor that moment um, and connect to the experience through this physical form. Um, we also do honorings in the community. For uh, example, we've got my, my partner's mum's coming over. She's going to be 65 tomorrow and we're going to have dinner for her. Um, and what we've done in my friendship group is just honor our friends on their birthday. So we'll create a space. We'll sit whoever's birthday is in the middle. Um, all of the friends will sit around them and we'll just take as long as we need to share what we love about this person. And it's really quite profound. And it always ends in tears. Um, I've been on the receiving end of honorings myself in the past, and it's one of the most beautiful gifts anyone can ever give to me. Um, and I think it's a, and those are a few examples. But it's also a great opportunity for us to express ourselves creatively too. We all have elements that we're drawn to. Some of us might really enjoy being in the forest, which is definitely me. Like whenever I've been through moments of great pain, I'll just go to my closest forest and cry like a baby and let the arms of the forest hold me for a while and share my pain with them. Mm. Um, some people, my partner really loves going into the water, you know, so she'll go to the beach and give herself a cleansing um, experience. It might sometimes be under the full moon. It might be under the new moon and we can use lunar energy to guide us. Um, and without, you know, thinking too much about it, having a basic structure and set plan is important. But the most important thing is just to create space for the magic to be summoned because we can we can enter these spaces cognitively and you know i've got to hit these steps i've got to collect these shells and get these twigs and build an effigy and stuff but if we're not sitting with the feeling at a somatic level and just creating space for whatever needs to come up to come alive um it's it's really just theater, you know? Mm. Um, and with yeah, that, Mark, I think can I just Mark, can I ask to different... Yeah. 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 Sorry, I, I was just going to ask quick. Sorry, very, very quickly, very, very quick. Because when you, when you were to say, um, saying these things, right, and I think there'll be a few people listening who are on board with what you're saying and maybe have their own rituals in place and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then I think there might be some people who are kind of maybe on my side of the fence, which is 
ultimately i mean we're all contradictions in some way <laughs> and my, my well, I, I recognize that one of my biggest contradictions is that i do a, a mental health podcast i speak to amazing people like you um who repeat very similar messages and yet i find myself stuck in old ways and it's like mm-hmm. you know like like this so when you're talking about your friends honoring the, the the honoring thing on the birthdays and stuff like i get how that can be very moving and i get how like, do you know what I mean, I, I, I get it I, to, to a point and not, not to a lived experience, but I get it. I get why you would do that and why your friends would partake in that. That being said, if when I go to Dublin and I'm, uh, I'm going to Dublin in a couple of weeks to see Jim, if Jim sits me down in the pub and starts like professing all his love to me and why he loves me and all the rest of it, I know that my instant reaction will be, Jim, please shut up. Like, I don't need to know. <laughs> I don't need to know why you like me. It's just good enough to know that you like me. You know, I don't want to know. Like, I can I feel love you, Seb, in this like imaginary you. circumstance that I'm explaining now. I can literally feel my toes curling, and it's the same. And I have <laughs> the same thing of like, like the same kind of deal is like if 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 like Jim was like, oh man, let's like again to use this Dublin example. If it, Jim was like, oh man, it's a full moon by the way on the tenth. Do you fancy going down to the beach and like we can do this thing? Like with all the respect in the world, I'd be like, oh, this, I just don't, do you know what I mean? And it's like, so my question here is, cause maybe I'm, maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but I would like, given that you came from London or the rest of it, I don't feel like you kind of went from being for, uh, coming with this guy, cool guy coming from London to all of a sudden being some guy who picks up shells and leaves them on the side of a bench when he feels gratitude. Like I'm sure there must've been a speed bump somewhere. How did you get over that hump is my question. Cause I'm still stuck on the le- on the on the beginning of that speed bump and there's no way I'm driving over at the moment. <laughs> Sam, you're great. <laughs> Thank you. Um so there's two things I'd like to speak to. I'd like to speak to my personal journey, but for people that might not be familiar with this, I can understand um how it would sound just foreign or you know, um even just completely alien or or, or, or the complete opposite of what you find um, appealing in a way. Um, and I think one of the things that I mentioned before is is the, the first stage of a ritual is the opening of it and the opening of that comes with the intention. So it can't just be something that gets randomly done and shared and, you know, blurted out in a space. It has to be created intentionally for that reason. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, I'm from London. I've got some mates that are, you know, pretty rough. I've got some mates here that are just real bros and only, you know, um, that like that they're tradies and that they don't really create space for any of their emotions. And I've held honorings for friends in that like sub strata of society. Um, and it was really, it was quite beautiful and it has to be guided in a way that suits the community itself. So some, it might just be a little bit more light touch than the depth that I would go to in my community, but everybody has that desire to connect deeply and profoundly and to share and express their love. And as you mentioned yourself, Seb, sometimes those emotions only come out after six or seven Guinnesses. Um, and for me, the way to lead into um, 
the second part of my response is it just becomes a muscle. Like I don't go from, you know, East London street kid to hemp t-shirt wearing hippie in Byron Bay, you know, in a New York minute. It's something that yeah. uh, becomes ingrained within me over a, uh, over a, a prolonged period of time. Um, and it just started with the desire, first and foremost, the desire to just connect more deeply and authentically with people. And I fully acknowledge that that desire is not as alive with everyone as it is within me. So if that desire is there, then there are probably ways that you can gently on-ramp people into a more ritual and intentional space. Um, but it's just a matter of meeting people where they're at. Like, um, I've been running men's circles for about five or so years now. <clears throat> I've had friends that I've invited to men's circles that rocked up and turned around when they got to the door because they just didn't want to do it. They didn't want to talk about their emotions. They didn't want to talk about what they feel. And ironically, they were going for a fair bit at the same time. It probably would have been a great opportunity to discuss those things with other men. And four or five years later, I've trained them up mm. and now they're running their own men's circles, which I think is an mm. amazing journey. And that's the, that, that just shows me that it can be, um, it can be one that we all have the potential to embark on. But as I, you know, as I, as I always like to say, it's not, it's not for everyone. Sometimes these things are just for everyone else. Um, and I'm, I, I, I yeah. quite like being everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance, basically. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a just, chance just and it just has to, like, it, it just, we're, we're all just a product of the ecosystem we're within, you know? And I was in the men's, men's workspace for a while and it opened me up to this side of things and... Obviously, I wouldn't have any real, and who knows, maybe I would have been drawn to it um, if I was in a different part of the world, but indigenous culture might not have been something that's such a deep uh, passion of mine if I wasn't living in Australia. Um, we're all a product of our ecosystem. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest pointer to the sort of person we are as individuals, not because of personality traits or, or DNA or, you know, even to a certain degree, our, 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 our parents um, were a product of the environment that we're in. And a lot of that comes from the friendship group that you're in too. So if it's something that is not too much of a desire within you, that's completely fine. Um, and if it's something that is, I think, just creating small opportunities to bring more authenticity, bring more praise, bring more space for grief um, is is a great way to build, is a great place to build from. And that's also one of the reasons why, shameless plug here, I invented Curiosity because it's a way for people to have, as I mentioned, the conversations they often need permission for. Um, I hope that answers your question, Seb. 
It sure does, I'm sure. Um, Jim and I will find ourselves uh, being somewhat ritualistic when we go to Dublin. I know that he'll uh, he'll somehow manage to rope me in. I know that for sure. <laughs> I'm gonna, Mo, I'm going um, to get your number. I'm going to send a picture of us together. Amazing. Sick. And uh, make sure the full moon's in the background. Absolutely. Only the full moon. <laughs> just for clarification, Seb, I love you. I don't like you. Just just in case that got blended out a few minutes ago. Already um, the nails are cr- the curling back already. <laughs> um, I just wanted to share a few things because I, I wasn't anticipating talking about this, but... Um, because Seb brings up a point, right, that comes up a lot with men. And here we are, three men wanting to, you know, have conversations that other men find difficult and, and other people find difficult. And Seb mentioned uh, the fact that he would feel, like, uncomfortable with someone expressing their love for them. And um, I've been there. And it it kind of makes me feel sad that that's where we're at, you know, that um, you can almost only tell someone um unless they're your dad or your partner and that you love them if they've passed you know or if they're like thousands of miles away or if you're drunk and for me like i like i also have been doing men's circles for a while and to to initially feel men tell me that they love me i felt uncomfortable with it as well I thought, oh, they don't love me. They don't really know me, you know? And then the more that they kind of knew me and still said they love me, I was like, oh, what's going on here? You know? Actually, maybe I am kind of lovable. Actually, I am. maybe I am a decent guy. And, and I kind of just watched that whole process of, of like, kind of allowing people to, to, to show you love and not only a girlfriend or a boyfriend and not only a, a partner. And I think it's powerful. I think it would be a shame, particularly because I know Seb is such a big hearted guy and there's a lot of people out there that would be in a similar position to Seb and the same position that I was in. And I don't know about you, Mo, if you're in a similar position, but we can, like, we can change, you know, if, if we just kind of allow it, allow us. And like you said, safe space, that's a very important thing. And, you know, it's very hard to come across safe spaces now um, and that you do have to be quite intentional with it. But I did want to say something attached to this point, which was... You know, sometimes if we don't have space for us to express difficulties, um, emotional difficulties, stuff that we're going through, to me, it either comes out um, physically, like it comes out like in physical gestures or kind of um, behavior that you don't, you wouldn't say is characteristic of you and like poor behavior, like being rude to people, snapping at people, being impatient or, and I've, I've noticed and I've been on both ends of this as well, you express it to someone, but not with with the intentional space. And so it's not really held. Like the person just doesn't really give it the respect it deserves and the response it needs and potentially the physical touch that it needs. And so then you can easily come out of that going, oh, Jesus, well, I even said it to them and that didn't help at all. So clearly talking about it doesn't help, you know? And I would, I would love to to be able to say, no, it can help. It just does require like an intentional space of people going, no, we will hold you. You know, you can say some shit and we'll hold you because that's the purpose. That's why we're all here. Um, I lost the last bit of that, Jim, but <clears throat> I'm down to 5%. 
Um, I'm going to go grab my charger really quickly and pop it in, all okay, right? Okay, perfect. Perfect. Oh, Thank you. Seb, did you catch it? The very last bit, like, dipped out, but I, I imagine it was just to be like, that. That that's the reason that we're here, and then you want him to kind of elaborate on that point, no? Yeah, that's pretty much it, like. Okay, so yeah, basically, just... we'll, we'll ask him to elaborate on that point. I'll ask him what lesson life is teaching him, and then we can go, right? Kushti. Because I know you said an hour, said, but I know you're enjoying this, my guy. I know. It's, it's a curse, isn't it? <laughs> Fucking curse. Once you get in, it's so hard <laughs> to get out, you know? Tomorrow, I'll be regretting when I'm on the train as a zombie. But hey, hey. You'll be all right, day. You'll be all right. You'll be sleeping well. You have good sweet dreams. Yeah, I'll tuck up to Zazu. Keep me nice and warm. Yeah, he'll look after you. Yeah. Are we all right, Mo? Oh, just in the nick of time. Sorry about that, mate. Um, <laughs> no worries. Uh, let's have a look. We're good. Cool. So, um, Mo, I'm basically... Happy to just um, that sorry, what were you going to say? I, I, I'm happy to answer that question. It's a great point that you made and something that's very, yeah, very relevant. Um, what were you going to mention? Great. No, that's perfect. If, if you can respond to that, that'd be amazing. And then... If it's okay, then I'll kind of mm -hmm. work towards closing then. Cool. Deadly. Um, okay, so whatever response comes to you there, we'll just edit all this out and then start whenever mm -hmm. you start talking. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, I think that's a, a, a great point. I've read a study recently that showed 60% of men that once open up quite vulnerably felt that they wouldn't do that again. Um, so talking about feelings is not this silver bullet, right? It's not something that's secural for everyone's emotional ailments, um, spiritual, relational ailments at all. We also need to be able to hold the space. And something that I touched on earlier was we can only really open up to the level of compassion we can only be honest to the level of compassion that we feel around us so if we are honest and we share everything that's alive within us a lot of the time it's because we feel the compassion from the other person or the or the space that we're in and sometimes we might just give a surface level answer because at least from my experience i know that maybe the compassion that I need for me to feel safe enough to explore a thread that need isn't being met. Um, and of course we need to be able to have the tools to be able to communicate and share what's there for us, but we also need to hold the space too. Um, and I think that's something that's just not in the conversation. Um, the fact that, a lot of people don't know how to respond to people when they're going through the meal other than just a, a tap on the shoulder, she'll be right, as they say here in Australia, or have another pipe, mate, don't worry, we'll forget about it soon enough, or you'll move on. Where people, all they really need is to have their experience or emotions validated and somebody to say, hey, that sounds shit. Oh, that sounds like you're really going through a lot there, mate. 
And as men, especially, our tendency is to start getting into this solution finding phase. If we hear of our mates going through uh, some pain, some sorrow, some grief, and we're like, all right, well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Are you meditating? Are you journaling? Are you doing this? And that's also not helpful. It's helpful a little bit further down the line, perhaps, but when we're in our body and we're in our feelings and we're in, when we're in pain or whatever it is that we're experiencing, we kind of just need to sit with that and have that acknowledged or acknowledge it within ourselves before moving on to where, as men, we spend a lot of our time in our heads, in the intellectual space, uh, cognitively um, uh, processing things. So, yeah, sure, we do need to have more spaces to have these conversations, but we also need to hold space better too. Thanks for that, Mo. Mo, this has been so much fun. I, I love the dynamic between the three of us. We might have to do it again. <laughs> For sure. I definitely love that. I don't even think we got to speak about half the things we came to speak about, but um, kind of a good conversation, <laughs> hey? Absolutely. Absolutely, Mo. And before I let you go, um, the new addition to the podcast, asking guests what lesson life is teaching them at the moment. What comes up for you there? Oh. <clears throat> Yeah, I th- there was two ways I wanted to go about this. I really wanted to give this beautifully poetic answer um, and sit and mill through it, but I decided to respond to what's alive in the moment. And life is currently teaching me many, many lessons at the same time. But the most potent one I'm being given right now is um, <sighs> this notion of letting go um, and not having to know what the next steps look like, but just taking the first. Um, A bit of a crossroads in my life personally with regards to what my next venture will be. And as somebody that's done so many different things that include DJing to club crowds at 6am all the way to the other side of the spectrum to running a workshop for vulnerable young boys in a school setting the very next day sometimes. Um, Also at 6am and so many things in between too and I really want to find a way to bridge the gap between curiosity, events, facilitation, ritual, and just have it as one beautifully tied package. But it's been a struggle, and this year has been quite disrupted um, for various reasons, and I haven't really been able to make any, but to focus on that aspect of my being. Um, And I think a lot of the reason why I haven't got very far is because I feel like I just need to know exactly what it's going to look like when really I just need Mm. to move and not stay stagnant. Um, And also just trust that it, it will come a little bit more clearer in time as well. So in a word, I suppose it will be keep moving. That's too, 
Yeah. Mm. I'm sure you'll forgive me. Trust. Trust. Yes. Trust. Fucking trust. Mm. Always. Mm. Such a tough one to read. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that. That was <laughs> yeah. great, Mo. I um, just want to say, Mo. It's that- so annoying because I-, I saw a quote and it's talks about just about that about taking the first step and it's this brilliant quote and i'd love to just to put it in right now because like jim always comes up with these fucking amazing quotes and it'd just be and brilliant to be able to like rip one off the top of my head and be like oh like this quote yada 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 and i can't remember it for the life of me and i know that what's going to happen is tomorrow morning when i'm in a meeting or something it's going to come to me be a fat lot of good then but <laughs> uh, thank you so much for Thank you so much for that answer and, and for all the rest of the answers as well. Um, yeah. Now, it's been great. And as, as Jim said, we'll definitely, if you're kind enough to give us your time again, we'll definitely love to have you back on. If nothing else, for those serenic background uh, noises that we could hear, um, absolutely beautiful stuff. It kind of makes me want to move Thank out you. to there as well. And as <laughs> no I just wanted to say that um, you, this has been one of the most impressive interviews we've done, right? We've done 100 interviews I hands down this is one of the most impressive and I have the utmost faith that the thing you're meant to be doing will come soon thank you thank you thank you so much Jim um I really do appreciate that I've, I've you know I'm listening to a few of the podcasts and there are some very very um yeah talented um gifted wise people so it's an honor to be um amongst that community i'm really grateful for the opportunity to share uh my story and seb i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you with a medicine drum and a dashiki next time we have a conversation um <laughs> oh, don't, don't you worry don't you worry uh, that'll be me all over <laughs> Mom and seb, amazing love it